thyself is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on, the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures, self-knowledge. With your host, Daniel and Eduardo, this is the Know Thyself Podcast. Welcome to the Know Self Podcast. I'm here with Daniel. Hello. And I'm Eduardo. And I want to get right into it. <laughs> Let's do it. This part three of breaking down the Leo archetype, the astrological, um, you know, meaning behind the lion king is something that I've been wanting to do with you for a long time. And I never knew that we would have a tie-in between, you know, breaking down what we've already spoke about with regards to Alice Bailey, what we spoke about in regards to the more specific understanding of Leo, and now the movie that we've always wanted to talk about. And Dale and I have talked about this quite some, quite a bit about doing this movie, The Lion King, and now we know why we hadn't done it before because it's very appropriate to do it now. And so I always wanted to bring up the idea of the hero's journey with this movie, just because of all the archetypes that are brought into the film. But now that we have had this conversation, once again, in regards to Leo, this will all be a huge tie-in. So Daniel has the movie um, basically put up onto the screen, and we're going to be breaking it down frame by frame. But you know, most of us are familiar with this movie, and if you're not, I highly recommend going to see the Lion King or seeing it again to make a little more sense of what we're about to go on this massive rant about. So let's get started, my friend. Yeah, man, absolutely. And it's, it really is a great archetypal story that's going to tap into both the subjective as well as the objective understanding of the evolution of consciousness, how we all tie together in networks. And it's going to very tell a very unique archetypal story. Um, it's very much going to tell the story of Leo um, and how we come to become the hero in Leo, which is what we spoke about in these last two episodes is, is what everybody wants to find with where the sign of Leo is in their chart. And it's where we want to shine through. And so this is going to be a very great representation of that Leo energy. And we're almost, if we were going to kind of study it as like the hero's journey, like you kind of looked at, um, which is always the best way to approach these, these kind of um, perennial films. We're really going to be looking at the archetype almost of the Leo rising to the Leo sun. And so your sun sign in astrology is the hero that you become and your rising sign or your ascendant is is almost acts as the journey to become that hero and a lot of us have a different rising sign than our sun sign and we've kind of spoke about that before the journey could be from one element to another um myself cancer to taurus you know yours is going to be scorpio to gemini um well, what we're going to be looking at here is really the story almost of Leo rising through its understanding to Leo's son and becoming the hero. And this is a, so this is going to be not only a significant story for individuals who have Leo as their rising sign or their sun sign or their moon or wherever it shows up in the chart, but also for individuals whose sun sign and rising sign is the same even if it's not Leo, even if it's in another sign, you're really going to see the parameters of 
because it's not from one journey to another sign, you're really going to kind of see it as almost um, an elevator in like an old 1950s department store with like a glass window. Mm. And you get up to a new level and you see a new landscape you have a higher perspective. That's kind of what we're going to be talking about here, the climbing up within a sign, learning the tough aspects of the sign, and then making our way all the way up, which is really asked for for individuals who their ascendant or their rising is the same as their sun sign. So this just touches on so many things. And, um, you know, kind of thinking about the Lion King, um, this is really uh, a big esoteric perennial movie for also our generation, which is the Pluto and Scorpio generation. This um, We were all kind of of this young age when this movie came out. Um, all the children at this time were within Pluto and Scorpio, um, all the way up until um, almost like 9, 10, 11 years old would have been Scorpio. And so this movie very much talks to us um, to our generation in a very deep way. And everybody, there's something about this movie because, you know, I remember that like Aladdin came out like the summer before and Aladdin was amazing. But if I have to think about the story of Aladdin, I'm going to, I'm going to mess some things up where like the story of the Lion King always can just come out and you can just, as you start explaining it, you almost start going through the emotions that the movie has. Like if somebody never saw it, like, well, tell me what it's about. And you're like running, you're starting to throw it. You're like, oh yeah, man, there's this, there's this awesome, cute little baby lion. Oh, and oh, his dad. Oh, his dad is the cat's pajamas. He's got this cool thing. He's going to be king. Oh wait. Oh no. But then he's got this bad uncle. You're like, oh shit, I forgot about Scar. And then you start kind of like going through it and, and you kind of go through all of these experiences. Um, but this movie stays with you. Where like the story of Aladdin, which still was like very majestic and magical to me, I don't remember I don't remember it as vividly, if that makes sense to you. It does. I mean, I mean, again, I know there's so many directions we can get into this with the movie, but the the thing that I specifically remember from the movie uh i remember when i saw it where i saw it and who i saw it with i saw it with my mom's youngest sister she's the only one that took me to the movie and i remember how shocked she was about my reaction to the movie because i think in 1994 i would have been i think six five five or six years old and she couldn't stop talking about my emotional um experience with the movie but the reason and it still hits me with regards to you comparing it to aladdin is the drawings so if you pay close attention to all the ways that the movie is drawn and i still see it to this day and i'll do this with other movies with people i'm like it doesn't it doesn't seem that obvious to some people but to someone like me like i love animation the animators for this movie really took a deep 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 deep, deep approach into making every archetype specific to the emotion they're trying to portray. And even though in Aladdin, you have Jafar with a mischievous look and the way they, they, they draw his eyebrows up, up, you know, the way he's sort of like, um, kind of malnourished, sort of, you know, wicked, if you will. <clears throat> in this movie, every single one of the characters from young Aladdin to when Aladdin becomes 
you know, the, the, the man that he's going to be on this journey, they, they changed this features of his face, including his own father right away. So when you see the movie, you don't even have to be really introduced to the characters in the sense of like, well, this is their entire accomplishing, um, storyline for you to know why they're important or why they're deceitful or why they're this. And so that was something as a kid that I remember feeling when I saw this movie more than I saw with Aladdin. Now, Aladdin, again, you said majestic. I like that word because I do remember thinking like, oh, wow, it's, it's so, um, entertaining. But if you watch all of the symbols in this movie with, um, Mufasa to um, his his own brother, you immediately are like, oh, I see the contrast here right away. And so that's what I remember mm-hmm. as a kid, just as I saw the movie, I was just like, whoa, like the messaging kind of starts from the get-go. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, even right from the beginning, how when the story opens, it doesn't start with the title credits. It doesn't give us all the information of, I mean, Disney who loves to say its own name, doesn't even show its name in the opening credits until after that introduction, after that the Lion King is actually presented, um, which is in itself is, is fascinating to think about how, how that story kind of opens up. And we really do. When we open up that beginning of that story, it's this no title from darkness to light, um, which is your story. This is, you are the Lion King. This is your birth. This is that moment you broke from darkness into light and you took your first breath in this consciousness. And this is what we're going through. And this whole, this whole story will be that, you know, inner archetypal process of all of our unfoldment um, as we kind of go through this. And so, um, I love that you said that, man. Darkness to light. Exactly. I mean, the, the movie, the opening scene, is everything we've talked about already in the last two episodes with regards to this fixed sign, this sun sign, and the sun. The sun is the first thing you see. And from that imprint of the sun rising, you have that also well-known song that you know opens the movie and it's imprinted in your mind. And every time you hear it, you know it's a rise, not a fall. And immediately if you hear it again, if you've seen it on Broadway or if you're you know, just passing by and that song is on, you're already inspired to sort of awaken. And that's something that this movie has uh, the most overarching thing to me, in my opinion, in the story is awake, 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 you know, awaken to your purpose. And with the sun, you know, the sun starts that off and you, you don't forget you're already at the edge of your seat when the movie starts, you're like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Like I'm ready for what's about to happen, you know? And it's, it's just brilliant. You know, the way it, it, that opening scene again, for, if you watch the movie again, you'll know what we're talking about. So yeah, man. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, especially with this discussion, we'll do our best to kind of describe the scenes as, as they, um, kind of unfold in the conversation, but always your own perspective. Because when we watch these archetypal films, you are the observer and your perspective and your connection to the esoteric and how it speaks to you is going to be unique. And everybody's going to pull out um, their own, um, the own, the own process of how truth kind of presents itself to. So what we need to see is what we kind of, what we find when we do these deep searches. Um, yeah. And you're right, man. It's the sun. It's the sun rising. The sun is born. The King has arisen. Um, and then, you know, we are introduced 
to truly all of the other astrological energies. Um, cause we're, before we even meet the lion, we're going to meet the kingdom that is within the lion's white reign. And these are very much going to represent obviously the animals of nature, but this kingdom that we're speaking of is, is the internal self. It's the story of the sun. Um, and so everything that's w- within it is very much going to be the story that we're going to be kind of following as we go along. And so these energies really represent the those astrological archetypal energies that are within all of us how we have the entire zodiac because we're going to have earth air um we with um you know we have birds we have the scene with the giraffe you know we have um where water gets represented is through like rain and the streams that we see and all of the movement through water but all of the elements make themselves present for this creation. Uh, but all the elements are needed for creation. And that's why another way we're getting kind of introduced to this, because not only are all of these energies a representation of the self, um, but they're a representation of correct creation. They're the representation of wisdom with will. Um, we learn the most wisdom through the unfoldment of nature. Um, and that's going to be the big, big lesson that comes through from the beginning to the end of this is learning the lessons of nature um, and connecting to that. And we we see a celebration and a spark of that in the beginning. And we all felt that in the beginning. And this goes on with how we come into consciousness and how we all have this type of energy within us as children um, that we're kind of tapping into. And that's why this is such an exciting film to reconnect to because it does connect you to some of those energies that we're all kind of trying to reincorporate into ourselves as spiritual adults. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, you know, not only is it correct creation, but we know that it's a new creation as well that's being celebrated. So it's like the circle of life, but we're seeing a very um, positive aspect. Um, And it's, um, again, we're really kind of making our way um, to this journey to like the center point. So all the animals are making their way. Um, and we get our first glimpse of not only, which is interesting, Zazu is the first character we see, which is the bird. And I know we're going to talk about what Zazu represents. Um, but again, very interesting that that's the first animal we see that is part of the main characters. But we have all of these animals all meeting at this, this structure in nature called pride rock um and i guess we'll t- we'll continue the journey at pride rock if you would like to take it my friend yeah i mean i think that's awesome you just talked about zazu being in the opening scene it's so true he flies in the direction of you know where simba is is you know has just been born you know the son of the of the king and when they open that scene up, even just the way Pride Rock is is drawn and how high it stands, you know, it kind of looks like that cathedral. It sort of has this 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 higher ground that everybody knows belongs to a higher power and a higher source. And it's it's and something that you've talked about a lot. And I want to hear everything you have to say about this. But you've talked about this protruding energy before, right? We always talk about these these phallic like symbols that they put in that this sort of like you know erect and higher um you know structure that is in in all cultures and all symbolisms that we've talked about and haven't even talked about yet but yet here it is very prominent very uh much upright very much on higher ground so um 
I mean, obviously you, you took notice in that. Yeah, absolutely, man. And this very much represents um, kind of what we were talking about earlier with the rising sign of Leo climbing the, this is what we're kind of talking about, like the escalator in a department store or the elevator mm. in a department store. As this climbing up of experience to gain a higher understanding of what that sign entails. And so when you say the inner cathedral, um, that's exactly what we're seeing. It's a sacred place, but this is within us. Um, this is the principle of foundation that we're going to learn through Mufasa. This is the idea of building yourself through the chiseling of life experiences, almost using life as the wet zone to sharpen the sword. Um, and so it really is this, um, this foundation and this core, and it has that protruding phallic energy. Um, so this represents strength. Um, it's going to represent strength ruled by wisdom because it's foundation. And there's a Saturn element here, but it's not a Saturn restricting element. It's a Saturn foundational element. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really going to kind of serve that. And this really shows even the idea of like the chakra system, we have a foundation that we can actually hold up those energies and make a, a support out of it and be supported by these energies of the universe um, that we're going to kind of see with this. Um, and so, um, yeah, and we, and we, I know we, so we have pride rock. We see our first face of um, Mufasa and we meet um, Rafiki and I, I know Rafiki is um, a character of both of ours, but I will let you uh, let you start with Rafiki. But uh, what about this interesting archetype? Do we, is presented to us? Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny because as a you know, when you're a child, you can only you know you only know so much about what each character really represents and what is actually you know occurring in a scene when it's done so well but yet so um so quickly and when you notice that Rafiki you know approaches Simba you know right away the parents as they you know give Simba to Rafiki immediately the first thing that most people can think of is you know here's the shaman here's the here's the 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 individual that will be baptizing this this newborn and also acknowledging that this newborn is going to be inheriting all that is down below and so will the kingdom that is below looking up can um make that connection immediately with the scenes that they actually draw out you're already noticing like this is not just a powerful moment but it's a moment of just you know an an, an obvious um new dawn a new day a new uh light that will be coming and is and is now here and so I know we're going to really get into Rafiki and his his so many different ways that he's unfolded in the story because you see him and you know he's got a connection to the family and you know he's got again some sort of hierarchy for him to you know be able to stand in that cathedral or that higher ground with the family and also be given the child you already know there's a trust there and I think they kind of embed that in you or give you that <clears throat> so you understand later on in the movie that you know, he is the wise one. He is the one that we will eventually call the shaman um, that really uh, represents the guide um, for Simba in in his uh, unfolding of consciousness. Um, but in the very beginning, you know, he 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 crescents, you know, he gives him that that uh, that blessing, you know, into the new light. And so um, 
that's all I got for Rafiki in the beginning before I get really ahead of myself. But yeah. And again, all these characters are representing the self and Rafiki represents that archetypal connection within the self connected to the esoteric, connected to the perennial philosophy, and even to the aspect of understanding rituals, um, whether we read them in books um, or we experience them ourselves, we can conduct rituals without really being taught how to do it. Now, certain schools of magic and philosophy and, you know, um, spirituality are going to have their own rituals that you might have to learn, but you know how to conduct a ritual. You know how to bless something. You know how to conduct your own funeral for something, even if it's an action figure. Like You know how to do these things that are kind of within you, even how to like transport a plant um, that you're carrying from like one pot pot to the other. You know how to hold it in a certain way. And that's where Rafiki is going to kind of represent that deep wisdom where Mufasa in this first meeting is really going to kind of represent the will. Um, but something really special with that christening you were speaking about happens um, with the whole ritual that we're presented with because it's a deep, deep ritual in itself. Um, this new creation um, and the fruit on the head um, and if we really think about it, Rafiki, he approaches Simba and he puts, and he, he actually has this, these fruit on a stick and he, and he shakes the stick with the fruit on it in front of Simba. And it's for the seed to meet the seed is what we're looking for here. It's the seed that shakes inside the fruit is meeting the seed of life, the seed of potential, the seed of creation that lives within you. So the seed meets the seed. I mean, there's shake, shake, shake. And it's like, Potential, 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 mm. right? Um, so he holds it to the sun and he breaks it open and we have fruit and we have a ripe fruit, which is a good sign. And the fruit breaks and it's ripe. And what he's going to do is he's going to take the fruit and he's going to rub it on the third eye of the king. This is to show that your creation in this realm needs to be focused on fruit because you're the king. You have a different responsibility. The, 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 the seed meeting, the seed ritual isn't for everybody. It's for the king. So you have to, you have to be blessed. You have to bless with fruit. Your, your role in that understanding of God, which is generator, operator, and destroyer, is going to be generator and operator. Because what he presents to him next is he takes sand and he puts it in his face. And Simba reacts and he sneezes. And what this is, is, is sand represents time. Sand represents destruction. Sand represents everything we're going to become. And it's not saying that this is a bad thing, but this is not a thing for King to lead from. He needs to be comfortable with death. And that's why he was taught the fruit of life and death right there. Um, right. And even a sneeze. You know, you think about a sneeze. A sneeze is the closest thing we probably, other than sleep, we know what death probably feels like. Because when a sneeze, it actually feels like something leaves you. Uh, it's like this thing that takes over you, right? Um, it's an interesting feeling. It's not like sleep. It's like this thing of like your life force where you can almost feel how that might just be like the beginning steps of what that would feel like. And so when he when he sneezes, it's, a, it's an idea that... Um, it's, a, it's an idea of um, the sneezing is like a release. And it's this, under de this, idea, this idea and the establishing of this idea of life and death, um, the fruit and the sand. Um, you know, it's the king needs to 
understand and to learn both, but he's going to be in this direction of one because he's going to be the bringer of balance, um, not the agent of destruction. And that's what we're going to really kind of look through. Uh, but that's what that ritual is going to very much represent. And that's why it shakes you with that. It's to, it's for the king to get familiar with what death feels like because it needs to be fearless and it can't fear it. Um, and connecting to them as one with Rafiki um, is very much part of that ritual um, to kind of see how it was. And everything established, he was supposed to sneeze. He was supposed to have an aversion to death, um, which is what sand represented and what time represented. He had to be timeless and he had to have an aversion to the idea of being finite, which sand reminds us of. So it was a connection to that soul. It was, there was the awakening of the creation. Um, and, um, you know, and that's why they, that's why both the mother and the father look at each other with, with like joy when he sneezes. It's not only just like Simba being cute, it was passing of a very initial test, um, which would get capstoned um, when Rafiki scoops up a little baby Simba and all of his cuteness and rocks him to, um, to the end of the ledge. And that's where we have the ultimate christening with the presenting of it, of the sun presenting to the sun, which is always... Uh, a fun kind of um, play on words that we get to do in English and most languages. Um, but, um, but we do, and we get a, um, almost a, um, a snapshot of Simba's destiny through this with a very synchronistic moment. And so as we're kind of walking up, um, you know, that, that sun that kind of shines through, um, it's, um, such a such a powerful moment that I think uh, I know was again was such a moving part of this experience because you're feeling it within yourself. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, well said, man. There's a there's a, a frame to frame that we can break down, but there's also these. Like I said, the thing about this movie is that as I think what you said was amazing, especially with the breakdown of the sand and the fruit of life. I think that that personally for me went way over me because when I rewatched the movie, it's like so obvious when you see it, but then if you don't talk about it with someone like yourself, you're kind of like, Oh yeah. I mean, that's uh, it's a given, right? But it's not a given, you know, and it's like, you have to kind of break that down and have a better understanding. So good job, man, because that's something I needed to actually um, hear from a different perspective or a different angle and like what that's really representing, because there is a lot of this symbolism and a lot of initiations and there's a lot of these, um, even Christian symbolism that is put into this movie that kind of not necessarily can steer you away from what is being shown, but you can kind of overlook some aspects of the movie by just seeing like the archetypal story and saying, oh, I kind of already know where this is going, where this is happening. But even for those who think they already have their finger on it, they may not even understand wh- how ancient this is. And people don't even know that the the story of the Lion King is an, is an old African story as well. So we can get into that later on if you want to. It's actually not important. You can research it yourself. But so what I mean is that you can pull so many archetypal stories into this and say, oh, it's, 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 this is the typical in, in the Bible, you know, here are the characters that are happening from the biblical stories and here are the typical stories that are happening in this archetypal breakdown of the hero's journey. So that's what makes this movie so fascinating is that there is no really one right way. There's just many ways to actually lead to this awakening process, which I think that is a beautiful metaphor for life in itself. It's that 
you know, whether you're, you're born and raised in a culture that shows you how to evolve or you are, you know, not given any direction on how to evolve or have your journey presented to you, we all kind of lead down the same path. And this movie kind of does that very well. Even if you think you have it figured out, there are many things that you may not see or may not know that are actually, um, you know, presented through the scenes. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so we have this this presentation right before the the end of this final scene where Rafiki brings Simba to Pride Rock to present to the animals, um, which represent the archetypal energies within us. And, and they celebrate. And then there's a moment when the sun breaks through the clouds um, and they all bow down. And there's this moment of magnitude that we kind of speak about. Um, and this is this is really the the ultimate connection for Simba of, of aligning kind of the destiny that's unfolded of if you, if you choose the, the path of being the great King, greatness will unfold for you. Light will shine through. Um, the light breaking through is learning how to kind of within even ourselves see these moments um, when there's big moments of this, of magnitude of when the universe does something that aligns with something that we're subjectively experiencing and we see a connection. Um, And so this really beautiful moment of the eternal making itself present um, through the story, which will be the kind of this guiding light of this life force. And we see it in the micro and we see it in the macro in the very beginning um, even the ants were making their way to the celebration. Um, and so, you know, not only is this a, a great story um, as we're kind of getting started, because like right then is when the screen goes black and we just see it say the Lion King, right? Like it was epic beginning. And even this, the, it is, um, it is. I mean, your excitement it just interrupted because you're saying something that I totally forgot about in, the, in that scene when he's being you know, lifted by Rafiki. Um, if you're not capturing the moment as a viewer, you can live through the reaction of all the animals pertaining to each of their, um, of their own, um, groups, you know, each animal, whether the elephants, the monkeys, they all cheer, they all, they all bow down. There's this excitement that's like really pushing for you to be like, this is a moment, you know, and even Simba kind of has this look on his face of like, he kind of looks down, you know, he looks down at the, the, at everyone sort of having a reaction. He's kind of like so innocent that he's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what's really happening right now. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And like, it kind of helps you connect back to what you said about us being children. When we saw that, that you're almost like that child. It's like, I guess this is a big deal right now. I don't really understand why I'm up here, but all right then, you know what I mean? You kind of already have that immediate initiation and like this kid is already like inheriting this land, you know? And I think that's, um, something to go off of what you're saying right now mm-hmm. in that opening scene. And then it just goes, boom, dark, the Lion King. And you're like, okay, I guess I got that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. It is It is that coming online to consciousness. Um, it, it's awakening within everybody. And the circle of life, like even the, the song, um, I know our original plan was to have this playing with the subtitles on, um, but even just going back and looking at the lyrics of those, I never really looked at the lyrics of them um, as a child. Um, I just knew it was a jam and I danced to it in my room. But going back as an adult, I'm just like, man, they were dropping some really um, deep insight 
um, again, all the way through this story. And it's so interesting because we do have this expression and this experience of coming to consciousness, the coming to life. Um, and we meet life. We almost meet the first house of the Zodiac. And then the second scene that we have, we meet death, which is a very like sharp change. Um, and when we mean death, we're going to mean we meet form um, and we meet this reality and we meet the coldness in this reality. Um, and that's what the second house represents. And we spoke about this with Taurus, with the second sign of the Zodiac. But the second house really talks about the falling into form um, and how we find security here. And the form that we're going to see is through really the inversion of a strong character that we've already met, although we haven't heard him speak, which is Mufasa. Um, and so we're going to meet his counter, which is going to be um, Scar. Um, and it, this is our first connection. And so we have the celebration of life and we are immediately met with death. Um, we're met with death of Scar, who has just darkness and the energy of the archetype that he represents. And we'll really look at this as really just a true inversion of what Mufasa represents. And it's going to be Mufasa and Scar who are actually going to be playing war inside of Simba throughout the story. And we do. We meet Scar, which is going to kind of represent that lower ego. Um, and we're going to see some unique traits that Scar represents that, again, not only teaches us how to become better individuals, but teaches us how to not utilize the sign of Leo as well as it's in our Zodiac. So really good lessons all the way through this conversation um, about all the different astrological energies we can learn, but really looking at Scar through a inversion of Leo energy um, will give us a good understanding how all of this can be applied to a more direct way in our life. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, they don't, like I said, the animators do a, such a wonderful job on how they draw the contrast between the sun God, the sun King, and then this lower self, you know, even to the way he is in color, to the way he has no empathy in his, um, the way his eyebrows are drawn out and then the lack of structure in his physical body. But even in that first scene, there's a part where you already know he has a higher intelligence that he's operating out of that has a coldness to it. I think there's like this cute little mouse that like runs out of the cave and you're very focused on the mouse. You don't know what the scene's going to really open up to. And then he paws down on the mouse and he picks up the mouse and he doesn't necessarily kill the mouse. He kind of toys with it. So like right away, they're kind of giving you this understanding that it's not that he's hunting to kill for food as much as he is just out of entertainment and out of just this sort of idea that he has a dominating power that he can use when he wants and how he wants. And I remember even as a child thinking, oh, that's so weird. They must've run out of white to put the white in his eyes uh, or for some reason put yellow. I never understood why his eyes were so yellow. <clears throat> so all these little things, even if you're just a kid, you're just already like, I don't trust this character. And so obviously that's all done uh, purposefully, but there's also an intriguing factor that you just brought up that I like about Scar, where there wasn't necessarily, you know, when you, you, you draw a villain or you have a villain, you almost want to not be the villain. You're like, I don't ever want to be that guy. They still kind of leave some room there with Scar. They kind of makes you kind of want to be like, oh, you know, I, 
he's kind of cool in his own way too. And that's sort of tricky. You know, there's a trickster aspect to that because it's not so much like, oh, you want to hate this guy. He is despicable. You're like, ooh, even the way he speaks. You know, Mufasa has a very dark, dark voice or dark, sorry, deep voice rather. And it's strong and it's, you know, but Scar kind of has like a swagger to him where you're like, Oh, what's what's he up to? You know what I mean. They do that with Jafar too. Going back to your Aladdin thing, I think I, I feel bad. Exactly. I feel like I, I I need to apologize to a lot because I love Aladdin. Um, because Jafar now that like once you said Jafar, it just like shot into my mind. I was like, oh Jafar, and like it's now I'm yeah. like that's that just like opened up a whole new archetype. Well, it's, it's a, shove. but but it's important though because you said we did we did grow, I mean you and I did grow up with these two movies in that time. Um, and one kind of impacts you more than the other. And then this one though, like, again, it's very, there's these crazy subtleties, but you just literally, you just made me realize that you're absolutely right there. It's not like they, they took one line and then they made scar his adopted uncle or adopted brother. Who's another animal that you're like, Oh, I would never want to be a hyena. Lions are way cooler. And it's like, they still present you with the lion, just a different version of the lion, just a different version of that of that power. So you already in, immediately have to make this decision between like God and Lucifer or good and evil, or the yang and the yang. This whole idea is already kind of like put in front of you where you're like, Oh, what's, what is this about? You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, anyways, I just have to say that cause I really like that you, you kind of just illuminated that to me right now by saying he's still a lion. You know what I mean? Like we're still not forgetting that he's a lion. Um, just a different, energy that he's you know sort of um uh operating from but still as a lion still with power and still with wit and so much that he knows he can get away with sort of the brute force that mufasa already brings you can see that he doesn't fear his brother so much as much as he you know you can see undermines him you know what i mean he toys with him so yeah 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 well said on that man yeah, man. Sounds like he's got some like skull and bones, mind and body, but no heart. Um, you know, and that's exactly what we're seeing there. It is the the loss of that sacred feminine. And it's the overcoming of the dominant masculine that his has unbalanced this individual to be the inversion of what it really could be. Um, and that's what we're gonna see with Scar. And you know, you do such. I, I like how you brought up the the story of the mouse um, because you're that is the playing with death. But this this isn't death for you know for energy transfer. This is death for enjoyment. This is death with suffering. This is a different kind of death. This is not a death into the order that we're going to learn about. Um, so right away, we're 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 presented with the the heaviness of this experience. Grief, pain, you know, jealousy, all of the things that Scar is going to represent, which we know is just deep down inside is fear, but we're going to represent fear with Scar. Um, we felt the fear of the little mouse, um, and we're going to kind of just see how, what his potential is, because without that intuition, that intellect works on its own moral compass, um, and that's what we're going to kind of see Scar work through is his own inverted compass, which isn't going to lead him anywhere. Um, and one of the things that we see right off the bat that shows us again about the story of Leo, how it's in within all of us, is the first thing that Scar says to the mouse is, oh, I'm sorry, life is not fair. 
And we're going to get this through Scar, through the whole story. Life is not fair. And it's always this jealousy. And what this shows us is that no time should a Leo feel, feel sorry for itself. And because we all have Leos in our sign, well, there's no time to feel sorry for ourselves. We can learn. You know, we can grow. We can learn to love more unconditionally. But the feeling sorry for yourself is is a very negative emotion to get connected into. Um, and that's also what Scar is going to represent. He's going to represent that lower ego consciousness, the one that traps us to form, the one that teaches that it's all form that that is actually here. It teaches us that there's nothing beyond the five senses. And that's what Scar is going to represent. It's going to represent the lower mind, where his counter, Mufasa, is going to represent the higher mind. Um, and it's going to be Simba's connection and dance with both. Well, this is the dance that kind of comes. Um, and again, Simba was already blessed through that ritual to be a generative force. Scar represents that more destructive side of the Trinity. Um, and this is not through his life plan, but we're going to see how it ties into his destiny. Um, that kind of leads to that, to that unfolding. Um, but, you know, right away, we, we meet Scar and we still haven't really heard Mufasa speak much. Um, and we see Scar and Scar is interrupted by Zazu. Um, and mm-hmm. Zazu's the bird, um, who's kind of the, the eye of, of the king, right? And I know we're going to kind of bring that up. Um, but what Zazu is going to represent is Mercury. Zazu represents Hermes. Zazu is not only the eye of, of the king, he's the messenger of the king. And if we want to take it deeper, we would say the eye of God and the messenger of God. So he's going to be the one that sees both sides of the situation. He's going to have this unique perspective on everything. And he's also going to be mutable, but he very much represents our ability to communicate. Um, and it's going to be interesting because even when he kind of gets there first and he's just like blabbering to Scar about how bad Mufasa is going to be. And this really represents, like, even within us, how our thoughts work. Because it's going to be interesting. Zazu speaks when Mufasa doesn't. And it's actually teaching us lessons because Mufasa holds his tongue. And he doesn't he doesn't go down to, like, gossip kind of thing and talk about emotions. It's always about principles when Mufasa talks. But Zazu will speak for him. And he'll also, like, speak to, like, stir up the pot a little bit. And so he gets there. And it shows, like, it's like the... It's the ability that we all have with our language when we learn what to share and what not to share. But Zazu has this occurrence with Scar, and Scar actually puts him in his mouth. He like goes like he's going to eat him, and Mufasa comes up, and he's like, spit out Zazu. Yeah. It's very interesting. This What this is showing us is because because Zazu represents our thought aspect, the limitless potential of our brain. That's why it's a bird, and that air sign it represents our intellect. How quickly the darkness in us can even eat our intelligence to make it part of it. Um, and even when he spits it out, he's like covered in goo. He can't fly at this point. Like he's disgusting. And it's showing you just how quickly when your thoughts can drop down into those lower vibrations, how it's it's like quicksand. It's like mud. It like and takes you and it eats you. Um, and it and it can feed off of you. And that's exactly what it's showing. And it, it really kind of presents that because it takes him a second before he's like, he's flapping his wings again. Um, but watch it. It's a good interaction because even when he gets back up and he's chatting, he's the one that's 
fan and the flyers were scar. Mufasa is looking for principles and he's looking for understanding. He was just like, you weren't there for the birth of my son. And then Scar's like, oh, I forgot. Zazu's the one that's like, you should have been first in line, this, this, and this. He's the one that's getting into the emotional subjective article argument where Mufasa is just staying objective. He's looking at the principles. Why weren't you birth of the new son? You know, and and then that's what we're kind of dealing with. But it's Zazu who like stirs the spot and it very much teaches you a lesson right there of how to carry yourself and even conflict. Um, Mufasa is saying all that he needs to say and he's using his quiet to assert his dominance where Zazu is like the uneducated self that just keeps talking and doesn't know that it like, gets its foot in its mouth because it's actually the things that Zazu say that almost like shoot an idea into Scar's minds of how this could work. Um, so really fascinating. Like when we think of this as the story of us and all these characters are within us, we really start to see this representation. If that makes sense. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Like, you know, you have this typical scene between like a, a Cain and Abel, right? Um, between Mufasa and Scar. But, but what you don't get in the story of Cain and Abel is you don't get a Zazu that sort of gives you the inner thoughts or the thoughts that are kind of directing where the emotions are truly um, in, in each of their characters. You know what I mean? Like they are speaking to one another as brothers and you can obviously see the difference and contrast of their attitudes towards one another. But Zazu is this important character that kind of leads all of us to understand that what what is actually being said and what is actually being felt more importantly you know what i'm saying so yeah that's a that's a great insight right there with zazu um cuz i remember thinking like what a you know th- i didn't understand why they had this this betrayal you know what i mean because you can feel that zazu has concern you can see that he lacks um some sort of confidence but you also wonder like well what why is he here you know, what is, what is the purpose? And so this is where I feel that his purpose is for the rest of us to kind of understand what's actually going underneath the surface of both characters and what they're actually feeling towards one another through Zazu's explanation of, or not explanation, but his sort of a shysty, um, you know, personality, because I remember thinking, man, are you good? Are you bad? I can't tell. You know what I mean? That's much like the unconscious voice that we have within us. It's like, which one do we, it's not good or bad. It's just how it's trying to work between the two energies. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, man. And, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, in Shakespeare, like I know through Shakespearean plays, there would sometimes be an actor that would speak to thoughts of the character outside of the stage. And you're right. That's mm-hmm. kind of what we have with Zazu. But the interesting thing is, again, showing, making this a, this like case study of strong Leo energy, watching again how Mufasa, there's really almost multiple, com- there's separate conversations happening. There's Mufasa's conversation with Scar. And then there's Scar's conversation with Mufasa and Scar's conversation with Zazu. But Zazu yes. is actually the demons inside of Scar's head that he's justifying and running around, um, that he's taking almost in the space of Mufasa's like silence. Like the conversation between Zazu and Scar is very much a reflection of Scar's shadow. Um, and he's like talking himself through, continuing it, like running through the, not the guilt in his head, but justifying his position of, oh, it's yes. just, this is all on me. It's all sad, sad for me. Um, and again, this is, it's just such a, 
such a fascinating thing when we think about it um, at that point, you know, and Mufasa is just like, Hey, I didn't see you at the ceremony, you know? And um, it's, it just shows the, the using the word as a tool because because Leo represents creation energy so much, the word is very much part of our creation and what we say will be held against us. Um, and what we don't say can't be held against us. And holding holding our words, uh, doth, you know, which we get it when we break down the Kabbalah, the Kabbalah, when we investigate that, one of the most interesting sephiras, because it is the head in, hidden sephira, sephira, and it's all about the wisdom of holding our words. Um, and utilizing silence to get the other one to run in their own head, because that's the one that's being in insincere in the situation is scar. Um, so really interesting. And, um, you know, again, we see this challenging that happens by scar. Um, and then scar walking away and feeling sorry for himself again, because he was saying he was feeling sorry that he said that he insults Mufasa by saying that he has more intelligence than Mufasa, but feel sorry about him for the body that he was given. Um, so again, we see this aspect of this could be a completely different story. So your brother, who is the the stronger line of lineage, is this king who could protect, and you are this intellectual mastermind who's very smart and intelligent. This could be put together for the pride of strengthening. Like if you only could see your role, your role was just to be the intelligence. You would have been the right hand. You would have been the left hand of the king. Um, you, If your intelligence was pure, you might even be in one of those situations where you had just as much power almost as the king, if that makes sense. So we see even like the potential in the timeline that what could have been if we would just not protect and look at others in comparison to ourselves, but just unfold that authentic nature of the self, there would have been plenty to right. go around for, if that makes sense, you know? So we, again, we see it, but we, it's also how we approach life. You know, it's not just what we're given, which scar feels it's how we, you know, play the cards that we were given, what we do with those, um, those capacities. And we're really having this selfish, lower ego. It's everybody else's fault kind of mentality um that's plaguing scar and it's also it's going to be the ultimate cancer that um really shifts the story um into a much different direction than it starts because it starts and you're just like man this is a good this is a feel-good movie you're like i am digging this um but you know so much so much is happening and um you know, as we um, as we kind of go after that stage of the challenge, and like Scar kind of leaves and feels sorry for himself, um, Zazu even asks Mufasa, and he's just like, "We should just." He's like, "What are we going to do about that one?" And Zazu's just like, "We should just like kill him or kick him out." And Mufasa's just like, "No." And so again, it shows that that loyalty and that generosity of Mufasa, um, and you know that even that ability to forgive that he would kind of held, um, which just, again, is why it's such a strong archetypal thing for us to kind of look at. Um, but then we do something that I think you might want to speak on a little bit, because I know that the am animate, the animation, um, is something that you're interested in. Um, but the rainwater, um, very interesting that the next scenes that we kind of see, we experience water, um, really to kind of, I'm saying to um, probably represent the nurturing of Simba 
in between the time not to have to show us the kind of nurturing and everything that went in. Um, but did that scene represent anything to you? Um, you know, and later on in the movie, and, and it's funny you're bringing up water now, but yeah, later on in the movie, you see again these comparisons between when there's life being given and what's being washed over the characters uh, and their time of insecurity or their time of, you know, needing um, to see what's what's being provided to the land. Because I was going to bring up the rain and the desert on how they put that a couple times in the scenes when there is um, what's been provided through the ecosystem and when, when it's taken out. But in that moment of the rain, I mean, they kind of put this sort of sad music um, that I remember very, very, um, very well, but I, I'm not sure if I'm picking up what you're putting down with regards to that moment when the rain comes down that washes over everything. You know, we, we go to this next scene with this, this rainwater, um, and just kind of showing the nurturing of the land. And this is really going to work as a, as a way of archetypal, like through an archetypal lens, showing the audience the connection between water and nurturing. And so what this does is it pulls something out of our subconscious, even if we're not aware of it, just by seeing the water hit the ground um, and the rainfall, it represents a archetypal image in our subconscious that gives us this understanding of nurturing being conducted, um, which again is why these animation films can be so special because of the freedom to kind of put these archetypal energy um, without limit because it's whatever they create and whatever they draw on paper. Um, but that's what we're going to really kind of kind of see here. And this water is going to represent just the, the nurturing of Simba and that, and it's um, going to be represented and kind of carried through to a tree where we find Rafiki. Um, and he is actually painting the picture of Simba and we really kind of get connected more from this idea of Rafiki um, really being presented as the hermit um, rather than the fool, which you might have thought of on the very first scene of seeing it. You don't really know who this individual is. Um, and he almost plays right. that both ways very well. Um, he does that in a great way, making him think that you he's not as aware as he is and working through this very connected to nature way that only a true shaman could only a true shaman can kind of grow through this understanding of how you actually operate the full in this beautiful perspective um but we meet rafiki rafiki and we meet him in the tree of life and rafiki represents the rafiki in all of us within our tree of life which is in our chakra system within it's our inner self and rafiki is really going to be that representation to these perennial elements that resonates so deeply in the story because you know the story is not just an astrological story like like you were saying it's a it's an ancient african story as well um and it touches on so many so many elements in the micro and the macro um and it even gives us a little even education on how to handle the age of aquarius um and understanding how to actually utilize that to understand that lion energy which is the opposite of Aquarius, and it's it's very important that we we really do understand this. And so, um, so yeah, we have Rafiki with that connection to that archetypal um, energy, um, and then we um, we immediately are met with Simba with excitement 
um, Simba with life. Um, and this is Simba really going to show this transformation. And that's what the water was kind of showing was that transformation. And we truly have this independent self. And this is when we really get a great representation of this young Leo energy. We've only seen this strong, yes. sophisticated energy and the inversion of this energy. But now we see the pure potential of this childlike spirit that's going to be so beautifully represented by Simba and our man, Jonathan Taylor Thomas on the voice acting. Oh yeah. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. I know that Matthew Broderick plays the older Simba. Oh really? Um, I didn't know that. I just knew yeah. JTT. Cool. Yeah, Ferris Bueller. Um, yeah. A lot of, a lot of these characters, I remember, um, I remember how much powerful uh, Mufasa became when my mom's like, you know, that's Darth Vader. And I'm like, no way. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's the same guy. But um, yeah, they, they did a great job, not only with animation, but the the ability that these actors have to sort of, you know, put that in um, that energy that you're talking about and that childlike energy that you're talking about that we spoke about in the last episode with regards to Leo really does come through with Simba, just kind of understanding that he is the prince at the moment, that he is you know, going to be inheriting the land, but you can also see that, you know, there's a forgiveness there for us, the audience that he has a bit of arrogance already within him because he's so young and because he's so much in this explorer energy of just, you know, where, where can I go and how far can I go and look what I can do and look what, you know, and he has this sort of, you know, pride within him already that hasn't been completely uh, unlocked as far as his confidence going based on experience, but more so on what he's inherited. You know what I mean? And so him trying to like, basically, um, you know, sort of take on the throne that he's already been given, you know, he already has sort of a cocky attitude that he's like, I am the prince and I can do whatever I want, but you're also seeing him sort of like, you know, know his boundaries, you know, through his father teaching him his lessons already. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, man. And we do, we see the, we see that excitement um, right in that first scene because he's, he's going to wake up Mufasa to, to get, kind of take him further through this ritual. Um, everything we see Simba through in the very first aspects as his child, it's all ritual. It's all, all these aspects he's going through and he's about to just get the, almost the apprenticeship from his father and he's become of age at that point. And it's a really special scene because it's his mother and his father are sleeping and he goes and he like wakes them up. And we really see this interesting, this interesting note that's actually said because Mufasa actually says he's your son before sunrise. Um, and there's something very interesting about that with the lioness energy um, and thinking about how this, this lion king is about Leo, which is a masculine sign, but it makes you go really deep on this, the feminine understanding of what the mother represents, its connection with the moon. Um, we almost really needed the, the lioness queen, which would have been the moon queen, would have been a, the, the sequel that we deserved from this movie. Um, and what we're going to kind of even understand is the lion is king of the jungle without like question, even though I guess on paper, if like a lion and a tiger like fought, I guess a tiger would win like more times out of none, but the lion's still king of the jungle um, because of its archetypal image, um, because of its mane, because of the roar, because of its presence and how it carries itself. But the lion for the most part, the hunting is done by the feminine. 
um, in the female lions, um, which shows this really unique power that's kind of contained in lions. And we really start to see the feminine energy that is incorporated within the sign um, and how important that feminine nurturing sign of the moon and the subconscious is um, and how his mother doesn't play a big role in this movie, but that's by almost archetypal design because it's the mother is the parent we that is deeper in the consciousness of the individual because of the more time that it spends. We only see the time that he spent with his father, but the nurturing aspect of it plays behind the scenes, just like the sacred feminine, how it had to hide behind the scenes through all of Christianity, but it always hid behind the scenes. The sacred feminine has this unique capacity to do this. And so they gave a, they gave a touch when he said, well, he's your son before the sunrise, um, Mm -hmm. which shows the subconscious and it shows the subconscious part of this. And that's what the mother's going to represent. And we're really going to see this conscious journey that obviously unfolds from the subconscious that gets presented to us. But that, that moon mother energy is always with us throughout the story. And it's actually one of the things that's going to connect. And it's also his connection with the the female character that we're going to meet the most. That's going to kind of represent that. But um, something really interesting there that gets presented. Um, and so we, we have this beautiful moment where Simba now tells him the objective understanding. Um, so, we kind of saw the the subjective um, grief, fear-stricken self of Scar, and Simba really sits him down, and we have some very powerful breakdowns. And you know, we have that idea that everything that the light touches is your kingdom, and how important this is for the spiritual student because this is a direct message to you: you are Mufasa and you are Simba in this situation, and everything the light touches that is within you becomes your kingdom. Um, The shadow needs to be incorporated. And so there needs to be awareness in there. Um, And we even see this, we even see where that disaster began with Mufasa because Simba even asked about the dark spot. What about the spot where the light doesn't shine? And he says, that's a place that you can't go. Well, having that place for Mufasa, well, that's the place that actually the cancer that's going to take Mufasa's life is going to come from. That's the seed of his demise. So we even see almost even a shortcoming in the the ultimate archetypal figure in this this situation because there is an energy of danger um, in this realm. Um, And Simba's curiosity um, is, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be, you know, what is almost like the demise of the father, but it's by seeing this dark aspect because it's actually going to be something that Scar builds off later on um, as the childhood curiosity where he uses that childhood curiosity of Leo against our hero. Um, We're here, we're seeing it and expired. Um, And his father, you know, not only tells him about how life is this, um, how everything the light touches is his kingdom, but he also starts, he explains to him in this point about the circle of life. Um, yeah, he says, um, how, what does he say? Uh, not to interrupt you. He says, everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. As a king, you need to understand the balance and respect the creatures from the crawling ant to the leaping antelope. Exactly. Absolutely, man. So like who eats who, you know, it's, it's the, the lion eats the antelope, but the, when the lion dies, it nurtures the grass, the antelopes eat the grass. And that's what 
that's really what Mufasa is presenting to Simba here. Um, he's the king of the balance. It's the balance in the circle, and it's the cycle of life, and it's the unfolding of life. And what we see with Mufasa is we we have an acknowledgement and an alignment with natural law, learning natural right. law to be able to align ourselves and live accordingly with it. And that's what the true king is always going to present. The true king has always represented the aligning to natural law rather than the creation of their own independent man's like independent law. Um, but we are, we are all connected in this great circle of life. And this is, um, this is, this is really important for the age that we're going into, which is the age of Aquarius because the age of Aquarius is about the network of consciousness. Um, connecting that network of consciousness um, and unifying all of consciousness in that network. And what that's going to really kind of represent is, is really connecting to individuals through their authentic outlets. And it's the blossoming of people having the ability to authentically be themselves while giving space for everybody else to authentically blossom themselves, which is like one of the big the lessons that Leo learns is, you know, lighting the, like, you know, really reflecting the light of others. And what we have here too with Leo, why this is so expensive, why this, this Lion King is so important with us with the age of Aquarius is because the age of Aquarius is the opposite sign of the age of Aquarius is Leo. And so if we don't learn how to balance Leo correctly, we have an ability to imbalance the astrological age that we're getting connected to because you have to balance mm -hmm. the cross between the two opposing signs. So Aquarius and Leo needs to be balanced just like a, it's like the cross you carry. It's kind of what we get crucified on. If we have a bad understanding of how to utilize this Leo energy, it's not going to unfold in the age of the, the age of Aquarius. Isn't going to unfold in this idea of fruit. It will unfold in this idea of sand um, for the potential of consciousness. Um, and so this, this feeling sorry, Leo energy for ourselves um, is going to be something that could be very destructive during the age of Aquarius. Um, and if I was an organization that understood astrological ages and was maybe trying to direct consciousness into another level, I would probably utilize this Leo opposite of the astrological age. That might be a big tool in my tool belt. Um, if people know yeah. what I mean. And so we really, again, wanted to understand this because this is, um, this Leo energy is, um, can very much be, be used against us and understanding the circle of life, but right away as well, he goes right into teaching him how to pounce and how to hunt. Cause Zazu shows up with a message because the messenger always has a message and it's just like, he's telling him about something in Mufasa gets Simba down and he teaches him how to pounce. And so right then we also have this touch, this, this, uh, this understanding of the circle of life and how everything's this pattern that we need to tap into. But Mufasa also shows him that there's certain things that we have to dominate in this realm. We have to learn how to hunt. You have to learn how to eat. So we surrender to nature to be able to dominate our capacity within nature for our survival and for our unfoldment and growth. Um, and it's this, it's this very interesting, interesting thing. And one of the things that, again, again, I think is super relatable 
to um, all of our generations is here we have Mufasa and Simba having a moment where they're really connected as father and son. Um, there's not sternness. It, there's, there's just love. It's that father energy truly coming through. And Zazu gets a message from a gopher, which is very interesting, um, which also is going to represent, um, or a mole, a gopher or a mole. I'm not too sure which one, but it represents the earth energy to kind of come in to balance out the energies. Cause we have the air and the lion with the fire. Um, and it pulls Mufasa away. And so Simba, which represents this Leo rising, being that fire, is like a fire. It needs attention. It needs to be seen. Is it, it also needs to understand and, and, and be attended to just like a fire so it doesn't burn out of control. Um, so Mufasa gets pulled away. And it's very interesting. It's when Mufasa gets pulled away by life, which is very much a, which you would consider like, um, a masculine sacrifice, not saying that everybody, both everybody gets pulled away from life, but the idea that it's outside of the home is why it's masculine. It's not a gender specific thing that work pulls you away, but it's outside of yourself. So his work has pulled him away like that masculine energy and Simba is left to his own accord. Um, and this attention, this 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 young flame that needs attention now has lost this attention because it's pulled away, and and Simba makes his his way to find his uncle Scar, um, which is going to be kind of the inversion of kind of what we're we're kind of looking at here. Um, so he finds trouble. This so Scar not only is he an inversion of the principles that Mufasa stands for, um, and the objective alignment that Mufasa lives by um scar also kind of um eggs on simba and not only is he a negative energy to be around but he actually starts to program him with poor ideas and the first idea he tells him to is that elephant graveyard um where he's going to kind of have his first adventure um and this is really going to kind of we're going to see a lot of things happen from this. And again, we're not going to have to go as step-by-step step as the archetypally develops, but we're going to see a lot of things happen from this because not only does he connect to the feminine character in the story um, and they go on an adventure together, um, but we also are starting to see his, his arrogance come out, especially the more time he spends away from his father. Um, and not only do we have this period of him actually you know actually utilizing his communication to trick his mother to go to this this graveyard um but we also hear it through his language some of this arrogant and kind of blind confidence about his already crowning of king uh with that famous song of i just can't wait to be king which is on the way to this element graveyard but i think this says a lot about the character that we're kind of experiencing um, you know, I think we see a scene like this very much in, this is kind of what the archetypal story of the Emperor's New Groove was, um, you know, which was the last animation film that Disney did. Um, but we have this king who's more excited to be the king, you know, it's kind of like the writer that likes to talk about writing more than they like to write right. kind of thing. Um, you know, we have this excitement about the self. Um, and so, um, so yeah, if we want to like touch a little bit about the, um, Maybe this, it's kind of like that same energy that we were talking about in the second um, episode when I was kind of talking about like the first time 
that you actually had to punch somebody's hand while rather than punching like an imaginary thing and you felt the resistance and you're like, oh, I don't kick as much butt as I thought I was gonna. Um, I need to like get bigger kind of thing. It's kind of that Leo energy of this arrival of the the pride, the excitement, and the confidence is there. Um, but we really don't have the the roar yet to be calling ourselves king. If that, if you know, what totally. I mean. Yeah, I mean, again, the way the movie unfolds, you know, every scene that that you, that has a moment in it that you're meant to learn from has a very obvious component to it, and you know, you you said something that's spot on. He sings the song. He's already triumphant in his accomplishment of not accomplishing anything. Yet what he's inherited already is what's keeping him in a state of you know, confident, uh, arrogance that he shows with trying to show off to his little friend Nala, but also going into such a place that even she feels that is dangerous. And she kind of begs him to sort of turn around and maybe shouldn't go there. And he gets himself in trouble and he actually finds himself up against forces that are stronger, um, beyond his understanding as a cub, you know, he's just like, okay, you know, I can do whatever I want and go wherever I want, but his powers really don't matter if his father is not there to protect him at this time. And that area was an area that he normally wouldn't have been able to, you know, not only cross into, but maybe come out of. And I think that's where you kind of see him kind of have a realization that I'm not there yet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, we have that ability of the father coming to save the son, um, and Mufasa comes and saves the day. Um, and again, it kind of shows that, that even that, um, even that just that eagerness for destruction that comes with maturity, you know, danger, that's what brought him to the elephant graveyard. That's why he did the whole song. That's what even inspired the song, I Just Can't Wait to Be King, was this experience with danger. And I think after that moment, after his father saves him, um, he he learns a lot. It's one of our last deep lessons that Mufasa gets to bestow on him. And he learns a lot about you know why we approach danger. And you know he was he was saying how he's like, you know, he's like, well, you know, you have no fear. And Mufasa said, no, I, I had fear today. I was afraid for you. Like I, I did have fear. Yes. Um, and so, you know, he not only wakes up something of Simba of loving something, even, you know, he, he understands the love for his family, but it's kind of the first idea too, that like, oh, like I, I that could have been lost today. Um, so we have this like unique kind of connection with, with life and death already. Um, and, you know, we really kind of have this idea of, um, you know, we only, we have this idea of, you know, Mufasa saying, I'm only brave when I need to be. Um, and it really kind of, I think leaves a really good impression. Um, and, Mufasa leaves him with a, a deep mythological understanding when he asks him to, to, you know, to look at the stars and he talks about those are the kings. These constellations will always be there to guide you. And he talks about the stars being the kings that will guide him. Um, so, you know, right aware the the astrological reference of the kings, because that's what we study in these mansions. And we're studying the ultimate king of the constellation, which is Leo, which represents the sun, um, which kind of ties everything um, 
So I guess we can kind of go, you know, we'll go right from kind of the scene of Simba getting um, in trouble and getting saved by his father. Um, and then we have shortly an experience after this where Scar is actually going to set up a more complete plan to try to end Simba, which is um, kind of his ultimate ultimate um, goal. And one of the interesting things about Scar as well is we really see Scar as not only the inversion of the of the divine masculine with this Leo energy, but we also see the inversion of the sacred feminine um, because Scar, everything is a plan at this point. Everything that Simba survived is a plan that's become unfoiled. Um, the original him going to the elephant graveyard, the plan was that the hyenas were going to kill him, but they were unsuccessful. Um, and what we do is we have the second plan that gets developed by Scar, and this one's going to be successful. And what we kind of see with this is this the developmental aspects of Scar and the amount of levels to this plan really shows more of a feminine understanding than a masculine. Um, the depthness to it, it's, it's a creation of his. He nurtured this plan and there's multiple steps and there's multiple, um, there's multiple facets of it that allows to show the, the depthness right. behind this. Um, there's something about that feminine energy when it comes to planning. And again, it's not saying females or, or gender sex. It's talking about the intuitive subconscious component to put something into creation and take it through a nurturing process like this plan that he has that's multiple layers. If it was more of a Leo masculine, they would just meet and fight it out. But this idea that there's deception um, that's going through this, this part, it's, that's more of a subconscious kind of way of kind of, um, forming this. And so we really do, we're seeing an inverted masculine and we're also seeing the inverted um, feminine inside it, um, to really show the complete polar opposite of Mufasa, but the, the planning, the deception, you know, the, <clears throat> the feminine rates for just the right time to bring up something where the man bring the masculine brings up the brings it up at the wrong time kind of thing. Like the feminine keeps it for the right time to bring it up. The masculine will present it at the wrong time kind of thing with this kind of energy. Um, and so we have this ultimate planning and this ultimate push to put Simba in a vulnerable position um, where he creates the stampede, um, the stampede that kind of goes in is driven to overtake Simba and Scar is going to be the messenger to let Mufasa know. Um, and what we're going to have is obviously the events that happen after this. Um, but I thought that that stampede was, had some deep representation in itself. Um, especially just the coming of age that Simba's representing and just the, the rushing of all of the experiences as we go from a young child to an adolescent. Um, and it's almost like a stampede of new experiences, new things, new things we get aware of, um, emotions, habits, all of it. But it comes as a stampede energy. We're going to see um, Simba get overtaken by this. Um, and it's going to be a really sad thing because it's actually going to be something that, you know, really changes the trajectory of this, of this story. Um, 
but this is even the stampede of the experiences of learning what death is, learning what grief is, learning what love is, then learning what the loss of love is. These, the animals in the stampede very much represent the that stampede feeling of as we get pulled from the subjective self and we have to be connected into this community, into this reality. We learn a lot of things about ourselves, a lot of things about society. Some are good and some are bad, but it very much feels like a stampede at this time. And that's what this age very much represents. And he's very much going to feel the energy of the stampede, um, you know, shortly after. Yeah, they do a good job of doing a lot of comparisons in the movie. Cause I mean, for those who are listening right now, we're obviously breaking down, um, the Lion King through the perspective of Leo right now, not necessarily the entirety of a movie Lion King. Um, you can actually see a lot of people break this down in, in various ways. But one of the things that I really like that you're saying back and forth is like the different layers of what it means to be this lion energy. And I think that in the movie with the intent of what they're doing for scale is they constantly have these close-ups and then these pan outs of when you can actually realize when the situation has arise where he is, completely vulnerable at one point you're like oh the pace of what he's going through is just the pace of a child i know what that's like i know that experiences are coming at me but they're not so intense yet for him it's like what you just said and the metaphor for the stampede is it's true it goes from just sort of this like innocence to this like no you in this real world have no chance whatsoever if it wasn't for your father and you haven't learned that yet and now you're in these precarious situations that you've put yourself into that you won't survive. Not only will you not survive, but even the man and the legend and the myth that is the bigger version of yourself and this father figure will not survive either. And I remember feeling that very much in that movie. And that's what it meant by in the beginning of this emotional, like, um, to sort of this emotional vulnerability for the the audience as well, because you're like, oh, everything is going at the pace that I'm I'm accustomed to. You know, here's the little here's a little story that's unfolding and it immediately goes from a certain uh, cadence to very fast paced, very intense, very quickly. And I think obviously it's meant to be that way. So you can feel the fear and the angst and the vulnerability that the character will be feeling uh, soon after. And I remember it hit me, it hit me so hard. I mean, that movie in that scene, and this is what I was saying about when I was a kid is that uh, my aunt couldn't comprehend why I was crying, you know, after this whole scene, she's like, Oh no, he's too young for this movie. I should have brought him here, but it's not that it's just the way it's created on how the hero's journey is unfolding for this character, um, at the pace that it is. Um, and so many things that you've brought up that I can go back and, and talk about with scar. But, uh, I think what you're saying, um, so far is exactly what needed to be said in regards to the way these characters, um, sort of, well, let's. Well, you got more you want to talk about with Scarman because we can go. We can go deeper on that one. Is there more you wanted to bring up about that? I just remember in the movie, like I don't necessarily not. I don't trust him, but I don't not not trust him. And it's like I don't like him, but I'm also like, well, where's this going? Like this guy's kind of interesting, you know, because he doesn't speak to him with a tone that makes you feel like get away from him. You're kind of like, oh, I think I'm kind of like on the hook on this too. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of flirtatious. It's sort of like, char- I guess it charming is really the word that I, I should have just kept to. But that's all I had to say. That's why I didn't want to say much more about it. But I didn't think about that feminine aspect that you're talking about. But yeah, we have this this tragic moment with the stampede. Um, it's a it's a very powerful scene. And, you know, every time, even when I was rewatching it for this, 
there's a part of me that's just like, well, what if, what if this time it doesn't happen? You know, it's like this hope, totally. even though you know it's a movie, like it's it's not going to be that way. It's like the it's like the one mandala effect I'd be okay with. If everybody was just like, did you know that Simba, did you know that Mufasa lives in The Lion King? If I woke up one day and that was like a Google like article, um, I'd be like, okay, I'm cool with this mandala. Uh, yeah, like, this I one I'm, I'm okay with. But, you know, it's not going to be that way, right? Uh, and we do have a, a moment of where we we see, I mean, we've known that Scar has been planning something, but we see the cold-bloodedness of this when Mufasa is trying to, he actually saves Simba. The, the son has been saved by his father. Um, but we actually have the sacrifice, which is another ritual that's going to happen. When um, Scar actually claws Mufasa's paws on the rock as he's climbing up and says, long live the king, and releases Mufasa to his death. Um, and we have the death of the king. Um, we have the death of that universal connection we have the death of the innocence that Simba is going to kind of respond to. And through this, Simba is going to experience something um, that, you know, not only just the magnitude of losing his father, but how Scar's master plan is going to actually put the grief of the death of his father on himself. And this is something we see with Scar very uniquely throughout the story. He, you know, he kind of backhandedly suggests to go to the elephant graveyard for Simba. Um, and when he was actually getting Simba in the position to be in this valley where the stampede happened, which is not a coincidence that he was in a barren valley where the stampede of uncontrollable thoughts and energy came from, um, he was telling him that he heard about his experience at the elephant graveyard and he heard that he didn't have a very good roar. And, you know, even before this, he was almost making it like his father was speaking behind his back negatively because he was like, well, how did you know about that? Like scar? Cause he didn't know that scar planned that whole right. situation, but was watching the whole thing. So he brought up information to kind of discredit him again, you know, even before he's about to kill his father, he still has to like, step on the image of his father. Um, and so not only is Simba kind of like dealing with that of like, oh, like, man, I can't even trust, like, who do I trust kind of thing? Um, he puts him in the situation, obviously, that was meant for both of their deaths. But Simba survives and Scar actually puts the death on Simba and he blames Simba for this. Um, and he tells him to run away. And what this is going to very much represent is that lower ego trying to disconnect from that inner spirit that's within us, the trying to actually smothering of that inner child, the locking of it into a closet, the, the lower ego, which is more constructed to the, which is the five sense reality and that persona and the personality very much representing scar and that lower aspect of our consciousness is actually going to push away this new orphaned child um, and really try to disconnect from it because as long as Simba's around, Scar's power is not his. Um, Scar's power, it doesn't belong to him. And that's exactly how the higher and the lower ego work. It's only when the lower ego pushes out the higher king that it can kind of reign supreme within us. And we can live through these ideas of Scar, which is grief, pain, and fear. Um, and so we're going to kind of see that that aspect and that that ability of fear 
and how the lower self uses fear to make the inner child hide um, is going to be something that we see reflected in our own lives. Um, and this is this is the this is the the conversation that we're talking about is retapping into this universal life force. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it's a it's a breakdown of Leo, but more importantly, I would say that the Lion King's a breakdown of that universal life force and spirit more than just Leo. Leo just represents that spirit life force um, in a very archetypal um, pr- presentation. I would say, yeah, no, I mean, again there's like two ways to break down this entire movie. And I know that most people can find out a lot of this information for themselves. But what I didn't know a lot about what we've talked about with Leo is how there's these different layers to this higher self and lower self. And even that young child energy that you talked about with Simba, um, you know, putting these all three together throughout the entirety of the movie, even when Mufasa uh, passes, you know, you're, you're, you're already left with the space that will be fulfilled by the lower, um, or sorry, by the unconscious, which is the child, like energy that we've talked about with Leo when it's time to take on that throne and take over the void that is now, um, there, which is the higher self has, has been eliminated and the lower self has taken the throne for the time being. And that's basically the remaining of the movie is him trying to figure out how to make his way back home. And we've talked about that again with the hero's journey, but it's fascinating how when we talk about Leo, um, whether it's through Alice Bailey or the last episode we just did, this is such a powerful sign because it's not something you can just learn about, absorb, and then move on and say, I've understood it, it's felt. It's very, very felt, just like the way it is in this movie. Like That's why I liked how you started this conversation with Aladdin. You're like, hey, this movie came out too. And it's a great movie, but you don't have this like, perple- like the mandala effect you just talked about is so true. I can't even tell you how much I relate to that statement. If someone told me tomorrow that like, you know, Mufasa didn't die, I'd be like, all right, man, like, you know, things just are just going to be better from here on out. You know, like I would 100% just wake up just like, oh, what was I even worried about in life? There's no need for tragedy. Um, But that shows you the extent of how powerful this movie reaches our subconscious and how far this journey goes within us and how we want to not only see the hero or the protagonist uh, prevail, how we want to prevail at all times as well, you know, and what we would have done differently and who we would have listened to and what we would have um, chose or what, what, what choices we would have made if we would have been that. And that's the whole idea is that you have the time to make those choices. You know, which way you can go and you know, what lures you into one side versus another. Um, And they may not be so in plain sight, but that's again, what makes Scar so powerful to me as a character is that he's, his deceit is not so straightforward as a villain, as much as you would think like, Oh, it's clear that this guy's the bad guy. It's like, sure. But to the young lion, he's confused. And it's so powerful that they make him his uncle too. Cause he has to have room for, um, you know, this, this ability to care for his own kind, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, man, there's just so much into this entire movie that makes me just sort of like bounce back and forth. So that's so why I think the way you're talking about it is so much more eloquent than the way I would talk about this movie because, you know, there's different lectures that I've listened to and you can literally type in hero's journey archetypes into Google and the Lion King will come up on its own. You know, um, this is back when we were doing 
uh, Joseph Campbell's breakdown and the Lion King will come up. But to stay away from that and get back onto the topic of Leo, I think what you're presenting throughout this unfoldment is um, much more than I would have even uh, picked up on my own, even just reading about the understanding of the astrological um, powers that Leo has and what we feel through that. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. It's, it's, well, you know, it's, it's core stuff. It's, it's, um, it's, you're getting to, it's, you're getting to the lowest common denominator when you get to the astrological energies, you know, that everything's based off of, um, but yeah, man. Um, and so I'm just going to clap that right there for myself. Um, and so, yeah, we, you know, and so we kind of do kind of continue this story where, you know, the blame has now been put on Simba. Um, and this really shows the loss of that inner child innocence. Um, this is that loss of that child spirit, uh, that potential that the good will overcome. This is the loss of everything for Simba. Um, we see grief, we see pain, right. and we see the ultimate connection that he has with death. Um and even just, you know, visually throughout the story, we have the setting of the sun and we have the death of the king. And it's really going to be the death of this this energy. But there's this archetypal idea that Simba can't die. And actually Scar's actually ultimate plan is to have the hyenas kill him. And they give chase to him, but they can't catch him. To show that the sun is setting, but it's going to rise in the morning. Um, and it's the one thing that we can actually rely on is the sun. Um, and if the sun doesn't rise, well, either do we. And so it's it's one of those things that we're we're completely kind of connected to it. Um, but we really see even the this this the idea of the plan of Scar form so quickly. Um, and not only does he take over power, he announces the death of the king as well as the son of the king. Um, he also blends. And he, and he puts the hyenas on the same stage as the lions, and he blends these two archetypes together. And what this is really going to do is it's going to really kind of give, expand Scar to take on a much bigger realm um, archetypally. You know, we, when we spoke about villains in the past, Scar very much represented like this heavy um, Saturn energy with Leo, and he still has the Saturn, but what he kind of taps into with the hyenas is, is almost some more Mars um, Saturn combination of sporadicness. Um, he, he's in more angles. He's got more of this like primal aggression to him. It's a, it's again, it's this bestiality. Like it's almost like making the lion a little bit more um, of a beast rather than the, the leader of the jungle. Um, and so not only do we have this like new energy with this, this, almost this movement down of the archetype from its its place of king of the jungle. Um, we also have a unique thing with the Lion King that this is a movie where the villain takes over early. Um, this is in the 30-minute mark. It's not like it's the, the climax of action isn't the hero facing off from the villain to prevent evil. This is more of a redemption story of the evil. And so we actually see just how quickly mm. Scar is able to take over the Pride Land. Well, how quickly can the Scar inside you take over the Pride Land? It can happen very quickly. And there's a reason why that happens so right. quickly. And that slip from principles happens so quickly. Um, because this is something that we always have to be at guard for. And that's kind of what Mufasa represents with his sternness and his his ability to be um, founded, have a foundation in his principles. 
to not allow this negative, dark, lower self energy um, of what we would even just call the unalchemical individual um, kind of blossom in. But it happens quickly. And this is going to be more of the story of not only the takeover, but the also how his power just falls from him. Scar pretty much is going to kind of lose his empire. It's going to take a showdown with um, Simba in the future, but it's not like Scar's empire is thriving. Everybody's starving in his empire, and that's actually how he makes connections with it. Um, But what's an interesting thing, we don't have a climax at the end. It's more of the powers taking over quickly. Um, The innocence is lost, so we go through the story of redemption. Um, Very much almost like... um, you know, almost like a account of Monte Cristo kind of thing of where the stories go in one direction. And it takes a completely different direction to come back to satisfy both of them at the end. Um, but something we very much have here, but I thought that the timeline of it was fascinating of how quickly the villain is actually victorious in this movie. And for two, th- one third of the movies, um, really even almost like, you know, probably about that, he's going to be in charge of the pride land. Um, and kind of be running. We don't see a lot of the experiences because we're going through the perspective of Simba, um, but we can kind of see updates throughout the story of how it gets more dire. And it represents more of that barren valley where Simba found his father rather than the pride land that he walked with his father when it was blossoming. Um, So I thought that was fascinating. I thought the timeline of Scar's um, ability to take over and how quickly it happened was very much a, a nod to how quickly it can be lost within us and how we have to stay Virgil. And we have to have that inner strength to stay to our foundations and our principles. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think that they obviously make that move in order to have a step into the idea that, you know, he is neglecting the journey of him becoming the king. You know, they really push you to almost want to yell through the screen and be like, why is he so arrogant with these two friends that he has, which are Timon and Pumbaa? And why is he so just gluttonous and just sort of asleep? You know, he kind of looks like a surfer dude. They draw him completely different. Even though he's got his mane, you're kind of like, this is lame. You look nothing like your father. You haven't really grown into the full lion of a higher consciousness yet of a higher self. You're kind of just sort of slacking off. I mean, they show it multiple times. And even when he is antagonized by um, um, Nala and she comes to find him, um, you know, he sort of still kind of looks at her with this sort of, yeah, well, it sucks that things are happening that way for you guys, but that's not my problem anymore. You know what I mean? And you're still kind of frustrated because you think, oh, this is going to solve everything. This is going to be it. This is going to be the moment where he turns around and he's like, I must go back. But he doesn't. And it's not until he meets, you know, the most powerful of the characters there. And that is when he meets with Rafiki again, who kind of tells him like, you know, you need to see yourself in this reflection. You need to really understand, you know, what you what you were meant to be that you're actually closing your eyes to and that's when you finally kind of like okay this is where i thought the movie would go uh, a while ago but it doesn't it takes a long time i think it really pushes you to the brink of kind of being like this movie where is it you know what is happening in this story right now and what's happening to the hero you know what i mean which gives you a lot of lessons in regards to what it means to run away from your problems and how to bury things down, down below without having to confront them, uh, head on, you know what I mean? And, um, and it's not until, like I said, Rafiki really brings him that, that, um, 
that awakening awakening opportunity because again while he's hanging with Timon and Pumbaa he's kind of just you know slacking her off you know just sort of not fulfilling the purpose that he's supposed to he's like I'm a lion but I'm not even like really uh using my potential I'm just kind of cruising and coasting by and you know Hakuna Matata and um yeah, it's an interesting phrase that 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 is brought up in that movie, you know, because you're kind of like, oh, I can get down with Hakuna Matata, but then there's a moment where you're kind of like, maybe not, you know, you're kind of like, maybe this isn't the way, you know, um, and you you kind of understand this other trickster that kind of comes about, which is sort of Timon, you know, you kind of realize Timon is a different kind of, you know, um, archetype that sort of deceives you not like scar but more in the sense of like do you really need to evolve like evolving is painful like why do you would you want to even walk in pain and like evolving is for just suckers like just stay here and enjoy yourself what's wrong with that and you kind of notice that simba is still very young even though he has his mane because he sort of is like yeah you know what like I guess there's nothing wrong with that. And you can kind of tell that he knows deep down inside that that's not the path he's supposed to be on. So there's a lot of that that goes on through that entire scene of while Scar takes over and the villain is the actual prevailing uh, individual in the story. There's also this sort of like facade that is done through Hakuna Matata. And even as a child, when you watch the movie, you're like, this is fun. There's, there's color, there's music, they're funny. And there comes a time where you're kind of like, oh, okay, you know, uh, there is such a thing as 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 too much of a good thing, and and it doesn't really do anything for any of us, you know. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely, man. And I think it it showed us a lot of things with with his connection because, you know, his friends are very much there and they save him. So it's without his friends saving him, um, we wouldn't have the continuation of the story. So we have this idea with. Pumba and Timon is that yet yeah, Timon yeah they they're the ones that save him yeah. but it very much is that idea of the representation of friends um and how they could be a saving force but they also could be a limiting force and it's a cycle and pattern that we have to grow with and kind of grow out of um but we definitely have enabling energy we have this ability of the turning back on the experiences and turning back on the world, um, turning back on the natural world. And so we kind of have two roles that played with them, their friends and their support, and they're with him yeah. till the end, which shows that they grew with him, which is a great sign in friendship. But Akuna Matata is a um, is an interesting phase, you know, that means no worries. And um how we want to approach Akuna Matata, because there is something pleasant and loving about it. We approach Akuna Matata as the idea that Akuna Matata is the effect of our work. Akuna Matata is not the cause of our work. It can't be the cause. No worries cannot be the cause because there is the ultimate worry, which is universal consciousness. Um, no worries as a causal factor is destructive, and that's how they were presenting it to him. No worries is the is the fruit that comes of spirituality when we have no worries because we see the greater pattern. And so the internal subjective worry aligns with the objective will and that worry is, is vanquished, mm. but it's not a running away. It's not a blinding. It's not a band aid because we even see that the band aid doesn't always fit because at one point 
they ask about what the stars mean. And Simba says the experience that what his father told him and they laugh at him. And he goes and he has a moment of kind of solitude by himself to show that the Band-Aid doesn't always work. And it doesn't. We all have an Akuna Matata right. in our life. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But the the no worries, that's a, that's a spiritual gift. That's the gold that comes from the experience. But it's not no worries where we mean that nothing matters. We mean no worries as everything matters at the same time as it doesn't matter. So like it's all as something and it's nothing right. at the same time. And so it's um it's a state to be reached, not so much a statement of our mood. It's not a mood that you go into. It's a it's a statement of enlightenment. That is what we work to, but it's not going to come by turning your back on the world or um you know not experiencing what's truly naturally happen. Um and this is what this no worries akuna matata is how they're presenting it is it's actually the turning back of your childhood dreams is what they were representing your destiny that's what they were representing of like oh you don't need to have a destiny you know why don't you just do this and it's really the idea of when we even it's like that teenage years as we're going into middle school, high school, and all of a sudden we're, you know, we might have in the seventh grade, we were like, I'm never going to drink alcohol. And it's the eighth grade and you're at the skate park and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'll take a swig. You know, it's that year transition of like changes that happen where all of a sudden we lose that, that inner child that was just like, oh, I'm never going to smoke a cigarette, you know, but then 17 happens and you're outside of the warp tour and you're like, you got any 27s, buddy? And they're like, just got reds. And you're like, oh, that's a cowboy cigarette. No way. But you smoke it anyways because you're 17. But either way, we have these, <laughs> these, these coming of these, these coming of these moments. But that's what it kind of represents. You know, it represents like the support, but it's not the guidance. We're not, we've lost that. We we don't have that Rafiki energy in us guiding us. We're not listening to our father. We're the Lost Boys. We're right. it's kind of like Peter Pan in the Lost Boys is what we're kind of looking. It's uh, Jupiter, um, but with no philosophy. Um, too much fun with Leo is what this represents, and that's something that Leo can get in trouble with having too much fun, um, not taking the significance. Um, um, not taking the significance of the situation. Um, so we do, we kind of have this, um, this coming of age, uh, but he's coming of age with the lost boys and no foundation. And we kind of see this playing around energy. Um, and then we have a fade back to pride rock and we can kind of see it's, it's desolate. Um, and even the, um, you know, even Zazu, in um, Scar's empire is locked in a cage. And this is such an interesting thing of the lower self locking that thought element, that mercury within us mm -hmm. in a cage, restricting its thoughts, the idea of putting something in a box. Um, and we have the tyrant king ruling um, as the true king is hiding and band-aiding himself in and trying to make himself feel good and just trying to make this five sense reality pleasant um trying to make sure that he can eat and relax but not actually going on his journey and as long as the hero doesn't accept his journey that tyrant king will keep the pride desolate to its own demise and it will destroy it um and that's exactly what we kind of see we have this internal battle that's kind of happening um and then obviously we have the connection that you were speaking of earlier 
um, when he con- connects with his other half, with the, which is going to represent the sacred feminineness. And um, even she is un- unable to get him to recognize his inner his inner aspect and his inner strength. Um, you know, right. and you know, there's a there's that struggle, and there's that struggle to to not want to leave Peter Pan land and to face his to face his consequences. Because again, one thing we always have to remember is he the whole time thinks the death of his father is a hundred percent his fault. You know, it's not till the very end that we actually hear it. Um, but the entire time he is. So it's not just he's running away from fear, he's running away from grief. Um, but we can kind of see and he's running away from guilt. And so it's it's multiple soul swords that are kind of stuck into this this hero's gut. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. You're absolutely right. That's actually something that I did forget about is that he is carrying that burden around. He's he is sort of like I you know, I've casted myself away, you know, but for this mm-hmm. reason. It's not so much that he didn't have a life to go back to. He was told he didn't have a life to go back to. And he was told that the life that he had was actually lost by his own right. fault. And so what's the point, right. you know, and returning to, to anything, you know, which is what made it so hard, even as a child to have an understanding of that. You're like, Oh, you could just go back. Like your mom's right. still there and people, people will. And he's just like, no. And you're like, Oh, it's okay. This is much, much more complicated than I think, you know, you could have really understood at that, at that age. Right. Um, right. But no, yeah. Absolutely. Anyways. And, you know, and when this, in this flashback scene, when they show Scar and his, his desolate kingdom with, with, you know, the thought element Mercury locked in a cage, um, they also come in and say the name Mufasa and he, and he yells at the hyenas and he yells at Zazu that, you can't say that name anymore. It's against the law. And it's just very interesting. Um, you know, if we did do like the, the youngie and breakdown and if scar was representing the state, um, we have this idea of this, this false, this false law being trying to be put into place of natural law. Um, Again, yep. you know, Mufasa operated through natural law. He didn't have his own independent laws where we see with Scar. And we can already see the breakdown. We can see why there's dissolution. We can see this this destroyer aspect of the of the Trinity kind of really making itself um as kind of present. And um, you know, again, this is this is very much what what signifies and what's kind of beautiful between all this because we have Simba kind of in a daze, like you said. Like I like how you said it. Like he is just kind of in this like surfer kind of daze. Um, we've got the Pride Lands falling apart, but in between the scene, we have this connection um, before he's even connected with Rafiki. And Rafiki is outside his tree, which represents the tree of life um, that's within us. Um, and something blows through the air and he catches it and he runs inside and he has a, a ritual process where he's doing divination and he realizes that Simba's alive. And what this shows is even when we think we've lost it completely, we think we've band-aided it, it's these archetypal experiences that will set things into motion for further unfoldment. Uh, and that's what's going right. to actually make the connection with his soulmate, which is going to be um, Nala. Is it Nala? 
Yeah, my mm-hmm. niece, my niece would kill me if I if I didn't know that name. That's her favorite stuffed animal. I wanted to make sure I got that right correctly. Um, she she would just drop the elbow on me right now for even asking that question. But but that's what like put it through. It's the archetypal energies, and that's what Rafiki represents. He's your connection to symbolism. He's your connection to runes, to tarot, all of these conversations. It's it's that aha moment. It's that deep laughter that you make when it all makes sense. Uh, it's already always been with, within you. Um, this is why Rafiki embraced Mufasa so beautifully in the beginning. And it was that the will connecting to that ancient wisdom, connecting to that infinite knowledge that's kind of within us. Um, and really kind of seeing this idea of destiny. And we get that deep um that deep laughter comes out of Rafiki in that scene that's that's really um really important and and what we're going to have right after that is um that kind of puts the seed that was the seed to spark the coming together um of him and Nala um and we have this kind of connection and again it's it's very interesting um that Nala always can pin Simba and again, we speak about it with the strength of the female line as they are the hunters. So it would mean that they would probably yeah. be one of the best with the strength. Uh, but really showing the sacred feminine energy that's within us coming to challenge our weak foundations of this adolescent beer pong 20-year-old individual that we're kind of talking about here. So the sacred feminine comes to kind of call us out on our shortcomings, call us out on what we're um, not holding ourselves up to that highest aspect, not holding ourselves up to our true, you know, heart's journey. Uh, And she really kind of comes around. So not only is it this exciting time, but she also kind of puts a challenge in front of Simba that he's not quite ready to be ready for, you know, not ready to take on himself. Um, But she sees it. And the sacred feminine sees the potential in it. It sees the greatness of who we are. And it just wants us to surrender to it. But it's our it's our um it's our um inability to align our will. It's our inability to put our actions into proper you know constructive outlets to be able to make this happen. And it's it's a confusing thing that happens within us, but it's also a, a thing of fear. Um, it's a thing that we kind of cause more commute confusion to, to murky it up so we can be kind of justified about it. But she really kind of comes to um, to kind of wake him up and really kind of open up that that sacred feminine aspect um, that's within him. Um, and it kind of taps us into that to that character that is an archetype that, you know, if we had more screen time, we would have probably gotten a much better um, explanation of an experience with those characters in it. but. I think the little presence that they did play plays a big archetypal impression on what they're trying to present there with that idea of her waking up to the kind of the, the shortcomings that he finds within himself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, you, you, I definitely thought that she would be the reason why he would go back and she does, she does not come back into, you know, a, a bit of sense, but uh, not just from her perspective, but what she has to say to him about what has happened and what is in, in demise because of the absence of his position and him taking the throne. And, you know, you see the anger in his face of him just being like, why are you bringing this responsibility back into mm-hmm. my lap? Like, how does it have to do anything mm-hmm. with me? Um, which I thought was very important because again, once again, as you're a viewer of this movie, you're like, this is the moment. And then he's just like, I denial. Yeah. You know, he's just like, yeah. nope. 
Absolutely. No, man. And and who is it that gets him? It's it's that moment with himself. And it's with that situation with Rafiki. And he's just like, I knew you. I knew your father. He's like, I knew you before you were you. And that's because it is the part of you that knew you before you. Um, it formed you in the womb. It was there. It was there. It, it's the alpha, the omega. It's the eternal aspect of you. There's no beginning or ending to this aspect of you. Um, and that's what Rafiki represents. He represents like the the true wisdom that is enclosed with us. It's exactly what this esoteric information is that we talk about. It's that presentation of the Rafiki that's within all of us. And that's what's going to inspire him to actually meet this ultimate destiny, to conquer his fears, to conquer his grief, to release this tension that he's been on, and to and to face this this ultimate evil, which is Scar, which again, he does not know is the person who actually killed his father. It's not until the final fight. Yeah, he doesn't. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think he has to go through, you know, the the thing I said about the surfer uh, or, you know, the adolescent individual with a stupid look on his face. You know, he has to go through an initiation. And I think the the main thing we should have always talked about with Leo is the process of I am. And you've talked about this before, but when he gets initiated through Rafiki, he goes down in the unconscious and goes through the darkness, goes through the dark. Uh, I guess in this case, literally speaking, it's like the the roots of the tree. And when he finally pops out on the other side, after he chases him, you know, he meets his own reflection. Mm-hmm. And he sees a part of himself that he was meant to be the part of his father. And when his father appears to him in the clouds, that's the main message he repeats over and over to him. Remember who you are, you know, take back what this statement of I am really represents. And he needs that before he crosses the deserts and the landscapes that he is so far from his Mm -hmm. homeland, you know, from where he belongs. And, uh, and I always thought that was interesting because I'm like, oh my God, that's your dad. <clears throat> you're so excited that you're like, Mufasa's back. And you think you're, there's going to be this moment, this clarity. And he and you see that desperation in his face where he wants to ask him so many questions. Like, where did you go and how did you leave me? And all of this other stuff that he wants to kind of have as a um, as, as closure. But really all he has to say is, you know, you, you must remember mm-hmm. who you are. Um, and I always thought that was powerful because you're like, that's it. <laughs> you know, but uh, that's all that is needed to be said, you know, for the higher self to take Absolutely. over. Absolutely. Remember who you are. And I think that's the mantra that we we take away from this with Leo, you know, and I think that's that's it. And that's exactly what happens, that, that inspiration that had to come internally, you know, it was, again, awoken with the sacred feminine. And then that was almost the womb of the experience was with Nala. And then it had to make its way into the external. It had to go through the womb and then be birthed in just like creation was um, birthed into this experience. And that was the situation with Rafiki where he finds his refl- reflection and he also finds his father. Um, and it's that internal realization of remember who you are that embarks us on the final tail end of this journey and that's the that's the uh, the ultimate showdown with scar the ultimate showdown with the not so much the shadow but the unincorporated shadow that has made itself into a monster that's inside of us um this is you know this is our grief this is our self-defeating ideas this is our negative emotional patterns this is our limited Mm. thinking 
this is our destructive habits um this is the this is like you know um depression that is self self defeating um this is everything this is all of those lower aspects those you're not good enough or there's always somebody better that's represented by scar and by simba we just have that which is is what's represented it's the truth it's life force it's it's the balance leo he's going to represent nature where scar represents everything that's unnatural which is the the self-deprecating ideas that we have of ourselves there's nothing natural about that the life is for the unfoldment of life there's nothing natural about the ways that we have been conditioned to think about ourselves or been conditioned to live with other people um, and how we treat other people um there's nothing natural about that. And that's exactly what Scar represents. Anything that's that's unnatural within the code. Uh, and Simba's very much gonna represent the code. Um, you know, it's you could almost describe Scar easier because when you describe what Simba represents, it's almost just like a blank sheet of paper. It's just that which is. It's the walking truth. Mm-hmm. It's the objective truth in the moment it's unconditional love in the moment and it's spiritual sovereignty in the moment so he's really this unique trinity of everything that we've kind of spoken about and it's very much this this improvement of the leo um we've now made our way back up the pride rock without having to hold our own father's hands we actually carry our father back up there um and this is the idea of saving the father that we always hear about but this is what this is this was this is what we were doing the whole time it was to connect to the will he didn't lose his mother. His mother was still there. She was just imprisoned by the his lower self. He lost his father. He lost his higher will. And that's what this journey was all about. It was about finding that will, finding that true courage, and finding that true bravery to be able to protect what is the most important thing in the world, which is the sacred feminine, in this story presented as nature or the circle of life. Um, but that was what we were ultimately kind of looking for, if you know what I mean. Totally, man. Absolutely. And um, and again, with Scar, he fights dirty the whole time. And then he even, you know, even on his deathbed, he rats out the hyenas, you know? And it just shows the the idea of the the psycho the, the almost the psychopathic nature of how he would just use, but he truly didn't care. There was no heart um in Scar. And we obviously saw that with when you presented about the eyes and the color of the mane. Um, but it, it's the absence. It's not the darkness, like the void that we all have to study. It's, it's the, mm. it's the shadow that's created in the light is what scar represents. And it's the shadow that we create in all of ourselves. It's when we feed this lower energy, uh, when we let this lower energy feed off of us and it almost takes us as, um, a host. And that's, um, that's what this story is always looking for. And Leo's always trying to find that eternal life force energy within us. So that true hero can can shine forth um not fly fly too cross close to the sun but also not ever go out in the sun as it is you know it's that unique kind of balance um but it's it's the hero within all of us and it's the story of us authentically becoming who it is that we need to become and at the same moment allowing others to authentically become who they need to become um which is the true story of not only leo but i think it really helps us paint a good understanding of the age of Aquarius. And they might've shown this story of Leo as we were entering the age of Aquarius for, um, for this young generation to kind of pick up on. And so, um, 
I, yeah, I, I kind of just, um, um, went a little crazy there on the ending and I didn't even, so let me check in with you. Cause I no. want to make sure that you didn't have anything you wanted to share about that last, uh, that last little, uh, cat fight scene that happened with the lions and lion King. No, I think what you said is exactly what I needed to hear the entire time. The whole, the whole entire time, like I said, I, I'm repeating myself right now, but the lack of heart. And that's exactly what happens in that scene when he sort of betrays the hyen, the hyenas who sort of, you know, obviously work as his servants. And they also represent a, a form of the shadow self. They all are walking in the shadows at all times. And that's what they're operating off of is what he puts down. And even in the moment where they think maybe loyalty might still be there with him, there is no loyalty. It's just empty, emptiness. And so... Um, yeah, no, I don't want to reiterate because that's exactly what you said. And, and that's how I felt about it. So I think you covered it all there, um, within the, the, the differences here between these, these two lion archetypes that are presented in the movie. Yeah, absolutely, man. And then we're met with water, nurturing and a new life. <laughs> and all of a sudden the, the roles have changed and now Simba is in the role of Mufasa. Um, and the circle of life continues, um and um yeah again i think it was such a unique archetypal film for it touching in on mythology nature religion biology psychology obviously with what we were kind of talking about um and you know and all of those can be kind of you know traced back to um astrological signatures that we were kind of talking about and so kind of a unique way to kind of bring up leo but Leo needs a lot of attention. There was a reason why we had to do three for Leo. Right. And Leo wants to be seen. So doing a visual component like this, like a movie where we can see this young Leo energy grow um, from child to adult um, and see that maturity kind of blossom in front of us, I think will all give us a unique kind of indication of where that Leo energy lives with us and uh, how we make it roar. How we make it roar. I like that, dude. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome, man. And I think what you said is actually um, absolutely correct. It needs a lot of attention. And there is a reason why we had a three-parter for Leo itself. So for all those who are listening, you know, thank you. And I hope you've enjoyed this conversation that we've had for the last three episodes on Leo. And we can say so much more too. And it's it's crazy. But, you know, I think... I, I can canoe. He's just like, right hey, now. if you're doing Leo episode three, where's my spot? It's like, I'm exactly Daniel's cat. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, if there's anything else you want to add into it, I'm fascinated. I could go on and on because, you know, we have talked about how in even in the Jungian um, perspective of archetypes all derive from, you know, astrological perspectives that we just don't ever really consider you know it's funny how i recently was in a conversation with an individual and i'm totally fine when people say this and i said something about astrology and i wasn't saying it so much to talk about astrology there was just a mention of it and he stopped me i wasn't even really talking to him i was talking to someone else and he stopped me and he goes you know anytime anyone brings up that word on astrology i'm just sort of like tune him out and walk away and i think that's so fascinating that we always want to talk about clinical psychology and the theories that have, you know, come from the clinical psychologists before us, but they would tell you, uh, like we speak about here, that these archetypes, you know, they're much older than 
than we really give credit to and much more than we want to consider uh, from where they where they've you know come with their come out with their ideas and their philosophies and their interpretations come from that which is these mythological stories that you know have to do with the constellations and um i think we're making a full circle again though in this new um era that we're 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 fully crossed over into where people are finally starting to understand like oh this is much not only older than we thought but it's been going on for the beginning of time and it is us unfolding in that span of time um, in different ways. And so whether it's clinical psychology or whether it's astrology, whether it's, you know, a mythological story, you know, the story of you is there to guide you. And much like the story of this one specific sign in Leo, you know, it's good to take the knowledge that we have, but also have an open mind to how we can, you know, do more with the knowledge that we don't have, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. And no, beautifully put. And, you know, the only thing I was going to touch on is um, that that need, that reaction that you had by bringing up astrology. But, man, muggles are going to muggle, you know, let the muggles muggle. Let muggle. the muggles <laughs> muggle. That's what I'm always, that's what my sign says at the protest. I'm like, let the muggles muggle. Um, yeah, man, you know, um, that's that's kind of how that is. But it's once you start to see beyond the five senses and you kind of can see these correspondences, you see that it's it's bigger than just the the natal charts. It's bigger than our personal astrology. It's it's a uh, it's a uh, it's galactic. It's uh, it's universal. It's everything. Um, and it it no, it's not everything. It helps us find the path to what everything is. It's not everything. Um, it helps mm. us find the path. It illuminates the illuminates the lights a little bit, so we can find it. But the everything is is it all, and it's everything that's not. Um, it's um, it's everything all at once. And so, um, my man, well, I am just so so giggled and so excited. Leo charged up that we got to have a conversation this evening. Uh, great day on a Absolutely. Sunday too. Look at us be all astrological astrologers on this making the sunday happen on the sunday sunday on a sunday is exactly right i was actually really excited when you're like hey man let's do this um this this end of weekend on sunday i was like okay yeah i'm ready you know made made space and made time and again i know that we're already two and a half hours in and we can keep going and i think that that's what makes this conversation so um you know uh, evident to the sign that we're talking about it's like the attention the energy it's all there and i'm as much as i'd like to continue going on i think that's where i'm gonna stop <clears throat> and uh and and move on to to you know letting the listeners sort of kind of do their own unfoldment of the sign and know that we've kind of like really talked about it and you know with much with much enthusiasm but yeah there's a reason Great. for it yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, I guess until next time. Until next time, sir. I cannot wait.